Welcome to Texas Style Coworking. The ranch office is a neighborhood community office that delivers a warm atmosphere with a heavy dose of Southern hospitality. Located in Memorial, Katy, and Baytown, we offer private offices, conference rooms, event space, and much more. Come change things up and check us out. Remember, life is better at the ranch. Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Batir. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Batir. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I am here today with Mike Niemer founder of eRenewables and the Green Insider Podcast. We are recording at NAEP, as you all remember from last year, with our NAEP Podcast Pavilion. We always have a sponsor who has made this possible. This year, that is TGS. With decades of experience, TGS aims to provide deep insights and understanding to support society's evolving energy needs. Across the energy spectrum, through innovation and data-driven solutions, we utilize diverse data sources, including our own, to create actionable insights that enable you to make the right decisions. Check them out. Link is in the show notes, tgs.com. This is being brought to you by OGGN, and we are at NAEP. Remember, I think that is all I have to say. So with that, let's get to the podcast. Mike, thank you for joining me on the show today. Before we, as we get started, would you please give me and the audience your background and an introduction to eRenewables? Joe, first, thank you for inviting me to join you at the show. Uh, just a half hour ago, I taped somebody, my own guest here. I love being in the OGG and Pavilion. We've all keep running into each other a couple times a year and it's terrific to do that. So thank you for the invitation to come on to have a chance to talk about eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast. A little bit about me first. I'm 40 plus years in the oil and gas industry. And I'm one of those that we continue to run into here in Houston that cross over from oil and gas and joins the renewable sustainable markets. And that's what I did. And so I took all that experience and then applied what I learned there and brought it to the renewable sector because I believed there were some efficiencies there that they were missing out on and I thought I could lend a hand in what I knew from my past life. And so at eRenewable, we have three pillars, renewable energy, energy efficiency, and education. And behind those pillars are, in the renewable energy space, I help people with their PPAs and BPPAs, power purchasing agreements or virtual power purchasing agreement. I help facilitate them by using a live online auction to help establish the price and find the counterparties. So that's the main purpose behind my renewable energy pillar, is my auction. Energy efficiency is where we go out to not only CNI customers, but public entities, you know, uh, universities, scoop, counties, municipalities, states, nonprofit hospitals, 
And we try to link their buildings together and make them more efficient, have them talk to each other to reduce their carbon output and reduce their energy spend. Then of course the education part is twofold. First, that's why I started the Green Insider was to educate the public with what's going on in the ESG and sustainable markets. And the second thing is because of a energy efficiency contract we have with the cooperative buying group, we can now teach continuing education classes on energy efficiency and provide uh, CEC credits for all those that attend the webinars or the in-person meetings. That's kind of in a two or three minute nutshell. That's a little about myself and eRenewable and the Green Insider podcast. Yeah, that is really exciting. All of those different aspects that you're doing. And I, I think it Whenever we talk about energy as a whole, that is so important to be looking at facilitating companies to get the best pricing that they need and also helping helping educate the general population as well as as well as the people that are going to be buying this on a in a in a competitive marketplace, which I think you get from your your education standpoint. And then also developing, to me, that energy efficiency point is developing almost new products by conglomerating groups together. So it, before, we, before we change topics a little bit, I'm curious, of those three pillars, what, were, what do you enjoy doing most? Oh, tough question. <laughs> tough question. I'm going to give a little history. Three and a half years ago, before the podcast started, somebody said, what's your biggest challenge? And I said, education. He said, well, you should start a podcast and help teaching people about the market. I said, hell, I've never listened to a podcast. I'm 63 years old. He goes, well, that's what you need to do. Long story short, we're 225 plus episodes later. We've got a ranked podcast. Our listenership keeps going up. So it's become the most fun activity I have because I'm dropping every week. Four to six times a month, I drop something. Wow. So that's movement. I'm used yeah. to that. Oil and gas, things move, move, move. The renewable market and sustainable market, it's slow as molasses. And that has taken some time to adjust. So for the fun factor, it's probably the podcast. But at the same time, when we can go out and save a CNI customer, 10 to 20% on their energy bill and, their, and reduce their carbon footprint. There's a lot of pride that goes with that. You yeah. know? And what I enjoy about that is if you get a CNI customer, you now have one client, but that one client may have 10 facilities. And that gives us 10 opportunities within that one client. And I enjoy that because you work hard to find the client and when they can give you multiple transactions, that reminds me of my old days when I was in a more transactional piece of business. Yeah, yeah. That definitely makes sense. I, I totally agree. I've got a, a day job with Tavera. We're a subsurface consulting company. And I understand that aspect of getting to see the results and having that satisfaction of, of seeing energy being produced. But then the, the podcast and the, the reason I've got this podcast is to get that education out there. It is fun. You get to talk to interesting people like yourself and you get to learn so many fun, exciting things. And you just 
it's almost like it inspires you to keep moving forward on those long, drawn out, what feels like you're just pulling this weighted sled, trying to move projects forward. The podcast keeps you motivated to do that. It does. And, you know, uh, when you're looking for something that's exciting, it's you drop a podcast and you start checking your stats and see that it's being listened to just like the last one and the stats are going up. That part's exciting because there's yeah. something happening. And that's the world we all come from that's not in the renewable market, you know? So, yeah. so once I got the podcast up and going and mentally had success with that, that made the others that are slower more tolerable. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep, absolutely. So you spent 40 years in the oil and gas industry. What was that that thing? Is when did that when did that occur that you started e renewable. e renewable and made that switch and why did you make that switch? In late 2019, I saw an opportunity uh work on some PPAs and when I saw what was going on out there the trader side of my brain from back in my old days when I traded I thought this, they're doing it too antiquated there's a better there's a better mousetrap to get a more efficient price and not to take an RFP that takes you 120 or 160 days to get complete I can be done in 30 days or less mm. and Seeing that opportunity is what drove me to starting e-renewable. Okay. And I, I completely agree. I, I think that is the same shift that you're seeing in the same push right now for geothermal is that there's been all of this great technology development for, for oil and gas unconventional drilling. And we're now seeing the opportunity to apply that in geothermal. And that's what... That is what is exciting people and, and having a lot of people switch, switch from traditional oil and gas assets into geothermal assets. So I understand that. And with the PPAs and the virtual PPAs and, and for the audience, in case you don't know, that's power purchase agreement, virtual power purchase agreement, where you're, you're basically setting a contract, you're agreeing to buy electricity. With, with those and the, the auction house, can you explain a little bit more what, what was the way that PPAs were done before, that antiquated system, versus what you have set up now and how this is, this is different and new and, and ultimately helps everybody have a win-win situation? You know, that's a great question. So in my view, the antiquated way, which still many people still do, because it's, it's Sometimes it's hard to teach the old dog new tricks, right? And even though I'm an old dog, I learned a new trick. So they put out an RFP, whether they're a, a CNI customer wanting to buy or a developer wanting to sell and find an off taker, they put out their RFP. Well, it's supposed to be answered in 30 to 45 days, and then they shortlist that RFP, get it down to four or five people. Another 30 or 45 days go by. So now you've 90 days of wasted you come up with the price, the term, and the counterparty, okay? Then from there, they have to go on to sign the agreement, which has to be redlined by all the attorneys, so that piece you can't change. Yeah. But that 90-day window, 
that's still being done today, I can easily shorten to 30 days, okay? Because when I serve notice that an auction is being held, whether the host is a developer or the host is a buyer, in 30 days, I'll send out to save the date, we send out the RFP, we have a scheduled date for the auction, they show up, and then inside 45 minutes of our live auction, at the end of it, they're gonna know counterparty, term, and price. And then, they're, like before, going on to have their, their contracts redlined between all the attorneys yep. and they get it done. But I've cut that easily, 90 days, down to 30 days. Wow. And I believe give a, more, a better price because of the fact that our auction has a resetting clock. So when a better bid or offer comes in, three more minutes is added. Once it's below three minutes, we add three minutes. And so thus, every participant gets something that I believe is important. Last look, they get a chance. Do they want to win it or not? Mm. There's no sniping like at eBay. The clock continues to run till everything is held the final three minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that is, is fascinating and, and the way that that works because that ultimately is what you want. You want everybody to have that best price. And, and I, I completely agree that auctions in general are the way to make sure everybody is getting, getting what they want at the price that they want it. And, and it, it is different than what I, from my perspective, the RFP process is kind of the way everything still works. So it it's- does. It does, and in the RFP process, nobody sees the other guy's number. Mine's fully transparent. Everybody sees everybody's number. They just don't know who they're against. Hmm. It'll show buyer ABC, supplier ABC. They don't know who they're against, but they do know the outright price. So the, the guy wanting to buy or sell has an opportunity to know that he got the best price possible at 1030 on Tuesday morning on this given day. That was the market. Yeah. Yep. I think that's really clever. And I, I hope that more people start adopting it and, and putting that in. I think it's, it's something that the geothermal industry hopefully will also adopt. All of you geothermal files out there, please check out the website. And is it just eRenewable.com? eRenewable.com. And, uh, you know, we're not subject just to power purchasing agreements. Uh, show me the structure of your geothermal and we can probably auction it. Yeah. Awesome. So make sure everybody goes and checks that out. Now, I want to I want to kind of shift gears. We are here recording at Nape. You've spent 40 years in in oil and gas prior to e-renewable. How many Napes did you go to? Well, that's another interesting story. Not as many as you might think because I was on the trading side, not the exploration side, okay? But that said, from time to time I had clients that I did business with that would be here and that I'd come and tag along, right? Yeah. And walk the floor, so on and so forth. But as somebody that was actually participated in NAEP, all those years I've never had to do that because I was on a different side of the market than exploration. Yeah, okay. So so maybe not as as deep of a as a historical look we're gonna have right now, but you you've made it to NAEP a few times and and recently I think last year maybe they just started an energy transition pavilion in NAEP. So 
in this recent past, since we've been doing the podcasting and everything, how have you seen the, I hate to say it, the vibe of NAPE and the attendees and the, the kind of, of deals and conversations that are being had? How have you seen that change? Well, and I'm only guessing because I'm not looking at the map here. <laughs> I believe there's basically four sections here on the exhibit floor. And one section is the renewable section for the yep. energy transition. Okay. The whole section. Okay. So the, the, the uh, clean tech, the, the energy group called clean techs and Houston Energy Transition Initiative. They're all down at that end by that pavilion. You know, we're at the opposite end because we're in the oil and gas network lounge, right? But, you know, they've got their whole quarter of this. And last year when we were here, they didn't really have a quarter. They had a stage. Okay? So we're seeing more and more people show up there. And the interesting part to me is not necessarily the vendors that are here, but paying attention to the universities that are here. And when you talk to the students, which classes they're taking and what their focus is, more and more each year are more focused in the sustainable renewable market than they are the oil and gas. Not that long ago, they were all there studying energy, and that was strictly an oil and gas topic. It wasn't an all-around topic, including renewable energy. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I, there was something I saw a few months ago now of a very prominent university changing their, the, the, this is the rumor mill out there, talking about the petroleum engineering degree was going to be changed to subsurface engineering. And, and very similar, the idea of, of sustainability and land management and all of those, they were going to be changed in terms of the naming to make it clear that this is a all-encompassing type of opportunity, not just oil and gas focused. It, I think it's interesting because there's, there's legacy there and there's, there's value in that hundred or, or less year program legacy that some people would say is, is, is dangerous to, to be toying with there. Well, you know, if dating myself again, back in the early eighties, when oil really had a crash, a lot of schools closed their petroleum engineering school. And then as it now traded in the futures market in the 80s and started up again, and then the prices finally started picking up speed, in the 90s, we saw the petroleum engineering start coming back. If memory serves me right, in the late 90s, we were only down to like 10 schools actually having that degree, that exact degree. Wow. And now, as you know, everybody's got that degree. But yeah. now, based on your story and what we're witnessing here, now they're twisting that degree just a little bit differently. Yeah. And so that's kind of a moving target. I'd hate to see that degree go away altogether. There's still a spot for it and students should want to take it. All right. And we are back having some technical difficulties here. Uh, but we were talking about petroleum engineering and yes, absolutely. Definitely still necessary. And the skills that we teach there are, are incredibly necessary. Naming, I agree. I, I don't know. I don't know if it needs to be changed the name, if we should change it, if there's a clear definition and differentiation 
if we change the name, but I digress. That's, that's where we are. Yes, sir. That's where we are. Yeah. So when, when you are here at the show, what, what are some of those things that you feel like you get from a show like Nape that are just almost, they're harder to get somewhere else. It's almost like something you can only get from a trade show. Well, this particular trade show is different than most. Yep. They're booth to booth to booth. People are trying to sell deals. They're trying to make deals here. And, you know, there's one handout to give, and all that's in that handout are the deal opportunities that are on the floor. You don't get that at any other show. Hmm. I mean, do you want to invest in this oil piece of property? There's, I don't know, 500 of them here. I don't know how many there's here, but there's a heck of a lot, right? Yeah. You don't find that somewhere else. If you go to any other conference, they're not actually selling something in the booth and people walking up are actually interested to buy it. They're showing stuff. They're displaying stuff, but that's not here. They're actually making the pitch. Yeah. That's the big difference. Yeah. And I think that definitely changes the vibe again. It, it makes it exciting and it makes it, it makes it more open. I think I feel like people have this understanding that you are both selling and potentially buying and that is what you want to do while you're here so people are open to having more direct more more intentional conversations to drive business yeah that's exactly right you know and you know some of those people trying to drive the business were also window shopping at others to see how they put their presentation together if they can get any tips and maybe the next show they're doing it more their way than the way they currently do it. So there's a lot of strategy going on when you walk this floor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we are we are coming up on time. As you remember from last year, we have a lot of a lot of interesting podcasts that go out through NAPE. We invite others to come in, including Mike here from the Green Insiders podcast and his company, eRenewable. So it's it's always fun to bring people on. I I usually have these last questions. I think we've got a l- enough time to go quickly, and I want to get your take on these. So the first one being, what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend? You had to catch me off guard, huh? <laughs> you had to catch me off guard. There's a story about the trading group Citadel out of Chicago. And I love that book, but I can't. I'm drawing a blank on the name. I can get it back to you. I can, yeah. You can look it up or something. Okay. The they had book? to do it the trading organization Citadel, their history on it. It was very fascinating to me uh, how they formed their corporation. So I'm just, I apologize to the crowd. I, he caught me off guard. I'm drawing a blank on the name. All right. No worries. I will get that added in. And that's the beauty of post-production. We can, we can make magic happen. The next question, how do we get to net zero as a society? Well, true net zero, I don't know that we get there, honestly. I, I know everybody has aspirations of true net zero. Some call it real net zero. As I believe you'll get there using carbon credits and, and recs, but some people think that's a sin to talk about. Mm. I think that's the only way to be at zero, mm. personal opinion. I don't think everything can be natural. Yeah, okay. And now the last question, you actually get to ask me a question. But 
remember, I'm going to be on your show, so save your good questions for that. Well, the question I'm going to ask you is, since you come from the geothermal world, in this energy transition we're in, how much growth in the next five to 10 years do you expect in your space? That is, that is a loaded question because it takes five to 10 years to develop projects right now. So there's two caveats. One, we need to speed up regulations and we need to speed up project development with the assumption that that does occur in the next three to five years. I think at that 10 year mark, I would like to see maybe maybe doubling capacity. I think that's really possible. And and to give perspective, in the US there's about there's a little under four gigawatts of geothermal. I think we can find another four and get those put online if if all of the if all the regulatory stuff gets figured out. And worldwide there's about fifteen gigawatts actually closer to like 16 and a half now. Those 16 and a half with the right money and the enough people that can be put online in the next five years in various locations. So I doubling in 10 years, I think is, is a very attainable aspiration, I guess you can call it. But I, I, I would say goal. I don't even think that's an aspiration. I think that's a very attainable goal. I would love to see more, and that's just electricity. We're not talking about heating and cooling and all the subsidiary uses, which I think should be exponential. But I digress, and we're running out of time. Mike, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Well, I want to thank you for your podcast, for educating listeners fighting the fight, writing the cause that we're writing, right? Yeah. And so uh, I appreciate you inviting me to be on your show, and I look forward to having you as a guest on my show at a later date. So, Joe, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Yep, absolutely. Mike, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. Please remember, go leave a review, give me that five-star rating, and share this with a friend. Sharing this is the way that we get these messages out, the way that we educate the general pop population and everybody. We are coming up. People are shaking their, their hands, pointing at their watches. So we got to go. Thanks, everybody. Remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Hello, everybody. By now, you have heard the description that Mike gave about the book. I wanted to jump in here because we haven't actually said the title yet. I know you've listened to the whole episode. The book that Mike was talking about was More Money Than God by Sebastian Malaby. So if you've heard of Citadel and you've heard of, and well, you you look at and you watch the money markets and hedge funds, go check out that book. That was Mike's book recommendation, More Money Than God. All right, have a great week. Join us again next week for another low-carbon, high-energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.